and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Bless you as you give. Man, how many of you were here on Friday night? Wow. On Friday night, I, I was talking to my wife and I was just saying, I was like, man, I felt like that was just, that good Friday service was different for me. And I've been saved. I've been in church now since 2008. In 2008, I gave my life to the Lord. I came out of addiction, and Jesus really radically changed my life. But there was just something different about the narrative, me connecting my heart to the narrative, that there was a Jewish man who came, and he gave his life for me. It wasn't just a story. I I know it is a story, but it was more than just a story. I was able to connect with the event. I was able to really connect with the reality that there was a person called Jesus, and he died. And because he died, I was able to become free. And so it was beautiful as we were able to just come in together and partake in communion as a family, man. And what the Lord said for us today, you know, we had two services planned for today. And, and you know, the, the building is packed, but we just felt convicted that God wanted us to gather together as one family and to celebrate his greatness. To celebrate, to like celebrate him. And I know that you've probably been to many, many, many Easter services or Resurrection Sundays but I really felt convicted today where Jesus said to me, I want you to talk about me. Like, I really want you to describe me. I want him to get a picture not just of a, of a slain lamb, but of a risen king. Yeah. Uh, so I know that a lot of times on Sunday mornings we come together and we talk about us, right? What was done for us, and there was a whole lot that was done for you. Like, the, the moment Jesus came out of that grave and he became alive, there was an opportunity for you to become alive. The reality of this whole thing called Christianity, it's not a sales pitch. Not trying to sell you something. Jesus is not for sale. He is a living man. And whether you know it or not, he is alive. And what he does to us is he comes and he takes our broken life. Come on, do you remember? Man, I was broken and I was hurting and I was angry and I was bitter. And there was a lot of whole things that were wrong with me. But there was a moment where he came. And I was searching, and I was buying, and I was giving, but nothing fulfilled. And the reality is on that moment, I'll never forget, in Orlando on a park bench in a place called Downey Park, was where I first, it wasn't a sermon, I want you to hear this. It wasn't a sermon, it wasn't from a pastor. I simply found myself in brokenness, and in that place he met me. That should be good news for us today, man. That no matter where you find yourself, you are not too far out of reach. No matter how you feel, there's nothing he cannot overcome. And so today I want to introduce you to my best friend. He really is. And I'm convinced that the reason people don't want him is because he hasn't been properly portrayed. There's an opportunity for us to engage with this risen man. It's not a fairy tale. It's not semantics. It's not religion. I'm not asking you to give yourself to a religious system today. I'm asking you, there's a man named Jesus who walked in the room during worship. Whether you felt him or not, he was in the room. And he's walking to make his way from from some kind of abstract person to a real risen king in your life. And so Jesus came for one reason. He came to establish a kingdom. 
And with every kingdom, there must be a king. I've been reading the book of Judges. I read through the Bible every year, and, and I'm at the book of Judges now. And there was this repetitive theme in the book where the people of God would be delivered by a judge. There would be one man that would come in, and in a fail swoop, they, they, would be, they would find themselves in disaster, and they would be liberated. And for this moment, they'd be like, oh, we're going to worship him. But they would fall into this cycle, and the Bible said this, it gripped me. It said that because there was no king, the people fell into idolatry and what was right in their own eyes. Because there was no king. See, many people, they know Jesus as teacher. They know him as savior. They know him as many, many things. But until we understand him as king, we will be susceptible to idolatry. We will be giving ourselves to things that are just meaningless. And we'll be searching and searching. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 6, he says, you have been limited not by me and my love. You have been limited by your own affections. He's saying this to the church. What's stopping you from fully engaging with the narrative of this person of Jesus is not me. It's not the message. It's not Christianity. It is you have set your affections on lesser lovers. What would that mean for us today? You've set your affection on a job. You've set your, your affection on a spouse. You've set your affection on the American dream. And what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to come in and establish lordship. Not to lord over you or because he's a narcissist. But because it's the best thing for you. Because deep down in your heart, deep down in all of our hearts, we want a king like Jesus. Are you alive? So, so here's what I'm not going to do. The point of today is not to point to our own lack or depravity. That's what happens a lot of time. We talk about how, how messed up we are, which does nothing but help us realize how messed up we are. <laughs> but what I want to do is I, I want to establish an upward call. I, I, I want to try to paint a picture of who this Jesus is. I am going to read a lot of scripture. And I want you to catch this. Not, it's, not, it's, it's who he is. So for a few moments, can you just, li can you just listen to this man? This, this is our Savior. We just sing about him. But the reality is we know more about Jesus through songs than Scripture. And what he's wanting us to do today is to engage. The Bible says that this is food for us. Money can't feed you. Your spouse can't feed you. You can't work hard enough to fulfill that hunger on the inside of you. It's found in here. And, and this says he is the word made flesh. Oh, I'm going to introduce you to him. Revelations 1.8 says this. He is the almighty one. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The almighty. Revelations 22.13 describes him like this. I am the alpha and the omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. Are you bored yet? 1 John 2 says this, I write this to you so you will not sin. I have placed myself as an advocate, meaning he stands in the gap. It's like when people are pointing fingers, he stands in the way as an advocate for us. Hebrews 12 says he is the author and the perfecter. It says this, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, perfecter by, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? Right relationship with you. It's got to be personal. It wasn't just for everyone in the room. It was, but until it's personal, it won't be powerful. For the joy set before him, which was you. 
It's like it's got to be singular. As he was heading towards the cross on the mount, he was thinking, John Valentine. That's got to wreck you. As he, in my brokenness, not today. You see, you see, oh, yeah, yeah, today, Gio. No, no. When I was in my addiction, in pornography and in drugs, he's on the cross and he's going, Gio. Matthew 28 says he's been given all authority. John 6 says he is the bread of life. He stands up and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Ooh, Matthew 3 says, behold, the beloved son of God who takes away the sin of the world. Matthew 9 says he is the bridegroom. Psalms 118 says he is the chief cornerstone. The builders rejected him, but now he has become the chief cornerstone, meaning all things are built upon him. 1 Thessalonians 1 says he is deliverer. Revelations 19.11 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was faithful and true. This is who he is. Are you getting a picture? He is faithful and true. John 10 describes him. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. That's you. Hebrews 4 says, therefore, since we have been given a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast. What are you holding fast to today? I want to ask you, what are you holding fast to today? We're holding fast to something, yeah? Whether you know it or not, your life is anchored to something. Come on, didn't you learn that in 2020? Why did you feel so unstable? Why did you, because your, your life, whether you realize it or not, you are anchored into something. And what he says this, because we have a high priest who is not removed from what we feel, let us hold fast. Yeah. What is he saying? Because we have a Lord who understands us, let's anchor ourselves into this truth. Man, there's people in the back. If I can get some of my leaders to just stand up, that would be amazing so we can make room for them. Ephesians 1 says this. He is the head of the church. Say he's the head. Come on, let me, I don't want to lose you. He's the head of the church. Acts 4 calls him the holy servant. John 8 says he is the I am. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I'm describing them to you. Isaiah 7, 14 says, she will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. He's not removed, he is with you. (laughs) You know, Jesus said to me for Easter Sunday, hey, up here, come on. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. This is important. Jesus said to me, I want you to describe me on Resurrection Sunday. And then I get to this scripture which says he's indescribable. Oh, I don't know if you know this. 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What was his gift to us, Jesus? In Acts 10, he's called judge. In Revelation 7, 14, he is the king of kings. In John 1, 29, he is the lamb of God. In John 8, he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never, say never, He will never walk in darkness again. Jesus, let it be. In Revelations 5, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is biblical leadership. I want to say this to you. Biblical leadership in this hour says this. Behold, stop weeping. (laughs) The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. 
He's, this is biblical leadership. I know we've been stuck in this swirl of people trying to cope with life. Stop. What's the message of the church? Behold, stop weeping. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. We're we are anchored in this. He can open the scroll and the seven seals. I don't got time. Philippians 2 says he is the Lord of all. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Oh, this is all scripture. John 1 calls him the Messiah. Isaiah 60, he is the mighty one. John 8, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I want to say to you today, I don't care what you walked in with. No matter how far gone you think you are, man. I don't care how far in religion you think you're stuck. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. 1 Timothy 1, he says, Christ Jesus, our hope. Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. Oh, Mark 6 describes him as prophet. In Job 29, he says, as for me, I know. Say, I know. This is a broken man. This is a man who's lost everything. I want you to hear this. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. First Corinthians 15, he says, he is the risen Lord. First Corinthians 10, he is the rock. Listen to this. First Corinthians 10, 4 says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In First John 4, he is the sacrifice for our sins. In Luke 2, he is Savior. For unto you, this day in the city of David, is born a Savior. Luke 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Are you understanding? This is our Jesus. He's not this far off, removed. He's ever-present. People are like, well, what are we going to do the world? There's only one hope for our world. I just don't know what to do. I'm about to read to you Revelation. I'm going to save you for a second. Luke 19 says, says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. Why did he come? To seek and to save. In Luke 132, it says, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Colossians 1 says this. I want you to hear this. Just, just close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to hear this. First Colossians 1, it says, By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or denominations or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Did you hear me? There's no part of your life that he is not connected to. Before you sinned, he was there. After you mess up, he is there. Oh, I feel the Lord. John 11 calls him the resurrection and the life. John 10 calls him the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you see, this is why you got to stop. You're praying for open doors and closed doors. There's one door. There's one door. 
Nobody cares about your door until you enter in through this one door. He is the door. John 14 says, I am the one in the life. John 1 says, I am the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 15 describes him as the true vine. <laughs> he is the true vine. Meaning that the only things that get life are those things that are connected to him. John 8, he's described as truth. And you will know the truth and the truth. What is truth? He's truth. Words don't set you free. Some of you are going to encounter Jesus today in a tangible way. It's not going to be because of words. It's because your life collided with truth. What's been happening for the last 10 minutes? Your heart has been receiving truth. And in the midst of truth, all of that hardness, it has to break. <laughs> Revelation 3 describes him as the victorious one. And Isaiah 9, 6, for us, for to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Hello. All you governmental people, they're on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Who else is like this Jesus? I want you to think about this. Who, who else can be both the altar and the sacrifice? Who, who else can be the first and the last? The, the beginning and the end. Who, who else can be the rabbi who heals lepers? <laughs> and, the, and the servant who washes feet. Who else? He is everything. And I don't know what's happened to us when we've gotten caught up as a church describing everything but him. This is how you get through this, and this is how we cope with that. He is the only solution. Right. You're like, well, that's too broad. It's really not, though. It's really not, though. Yeah. Let's, go, let's go to Revelation. <laughs> Revelation's one. I'm going to try to make it through this. Are you okay? Yeah. Oh, we got time. Are you hungry? You're like, yeah, for some food. I really felt convicted of this today that we as a body were to see Jesus, not just, listen, many of us have seen the passion. We've seen him crucified, but it's important to understand that he is a risen king. I need you to understand this. He is a risen king and he's coming back. And in Revelation 1, we get a glimpse of this man, Jesus. So I'm going to take us there. Revelation 1. How is this for your Easter sermon? <laughs> Where should I start, Lord? Why don't we start at four? Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Christ, Jesus Christ. He is this. I want you to hear who he is. He is the faithful witness to these things. 
He is the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood. All glory be to him. The reason he's not lifted high is because there's too many people trying to take glory. He has made us. This is who you are. I know you've said a lot of things about yourself, and I know a lot of people have said a lot of things about you because they said a lot of things about me. But this is who you are. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God. I want you to see it wasn't for man. This is important because our whole religious system is based around this. You are a priest for people and people. But, but like it's very clear. You have been made a kingdom of priests for God. For him. This frees you, man. Because my only job is to love him. My only job is to stay connected to him. Our only job is to stay yoked to him. We got discipleship programs and all. They're all great. But if you don't love him, you, we've missed it. If we don't see that he has saved us to be a priest unto him. Then he says this. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Then it says, look. Say, look. Behold, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him. There's going to come a day where the sky will split open. I'm preaching truth to you right now. It says that people will be asleep. The Bible says like in the days of Noah, what was happening in the days of Noah? They were doing their own thing. And in the midst of a time like that, the sky will split open, and Jesus will establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. You don't believe it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to show you why this is important in a minute. Even those who pierced him and all the nations of the, of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. Then he describes himself again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, the one who always was, and the one who is to come, the Almighty God. Let's drop down to 12. So John's there and it says, when I turned. That's what I believe is happening today to some of you. We've been going our own way. We've been doing our own things. But there's something about turning. And when he turned, when he turned, he saw something. I want to say there's an invitation for you to see something today. It's not mysticism. It's not weird. I'm sorry that we've been presented with a church that does not encounter the risen Jesus. But if John can see him thousands of years ago, I believe he's available to be seen today. And I believe that it is important for us to understand the book of Revelation, there was a letter to seven churches. And there was a lot of rebuke. There was a lot of you did this right, but you did that wrong. But before any of that happened, Jesus reveals himself. Come on. I want you to see this. Because many of us, we try to deal with our shortcomings, our insecurities, our bondages, but we bypass the seeing him. And this was the president. This was the first thing that he would reveal himself. So he goes in, I turn to see he who was speaking to me. And I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. I want you to see this, man. 
He sings. He was wearing a robe. And it was a long robe with a sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool. As white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice His voice thundered like a mighty ocean waves. And he held the seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from him in his mouth. Listen to this. And his face was like the sun. In all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. As if I were dead. But I want you to see this. He said this. He said, don't be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I know we've had lots of pictures of who Jesus is, but this is the risen one. And it should do something to us. It should do something to us to understand that this is the one who's coming. It is significant. He walks out. Ooh, I'm okay. He's standing in the middle of lampstands. And I love this, yeah? He introduces himself to us as the son of man. He identifies with us. And then the Bible describes him as a man who was wearing long robe, which would have identified him as priest. He is our forever priest. That's what he's doing right now. For every mistake I make, he's interceding before the Father. That's what he's doing for you right now. He's not bashing you. He's not trying to put a, he's, he's interceding for you right now at the right hand. It says he has a robe. He has a golden sash, which would have spoke about him as judge. But I think it's beautiful that he introduces himself as the son of man. And as our priest who saves us before he ever introduces himself as judge. The Bible says this, that we'll all stand before the judgment seat. For there to be a judgment seat, there has to be a judge. And this is why he introduces himself as the son of man, the high priest, before he ever speaks to us about being judge. Because he would that none would perish. Do you understand? If you're here today, there is hope for you. I'm not saying for you today, you have to fix yourself. You can never make a mistake. I'm asking you today, will you anchor yourself in this man? 
Our life is centered around a lot of many different things, but today, would you make a decision to center your life around this man? It continues to describe him, that his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, which would connect us to Daniel 7, which speaks to us about a person who was called the Ancient of Days. This is who he is. And I'm sorry that he's been portrayed as anything else to you. The, the Bible says that his eyes are like flames of fire, which are his burning passion for you. If you were the only person in the room, I'd be preaching the same way because he did it for you. And you were enough. And his eyes burn like passion, looking to burn away anything that is standing in the way of you fully loving him. His feet were like polished bronze. This is symbolic of the priests who in the temple never wore shoes. It speaks to us of him being tested. Do you feel that? His voice thundered like a mighty ocean. You know, it's interesting that when we hear something, we automatically associate it, right? You hear something, it brings something to your remembrance. And scientists, they tell us that when we hear something, we think one of two things, safe or not safe, immediately. Just internally, safe or not safe. And when we hear rushing water, the sound of rushing water like an ocean, it speaks to us this. Oh, Jesus. Do not worry. Do not worry. That's why the Bible says that he lays us beside what? It speaks to us that no matter where we find ourselves, he's saying to us, don't worry. Don't worry. His face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Have you ever stared at the sun? Not too much. I'm wearing glasses right now. Way too much. What happens when you look at the sun? It does that. But, but those of you that are weird like me, you know that like when you were seven, you had this weird thing where you're like staring right into the sun. And what would happen when you would stare at the sun is all consciousness became suspended. The moment you looked into the sun, you, there was a moment where you couldn't see anything else. It's like the brightness of that thing caused everything else to become dull. <laughs> Sometimes we come into environments like this, like, like, they talk a whole lot about beholding. I don't get it. What's the, the, the beholding thing? What, what? It's because when we behold the sun, everything else dissipates. It doesn't mean that our problems go away. What it means is we ascribe proper value to them knowing that we have a king that could handle that. <laughs> what it does is it gives us proper perspective. 
That's why I say to you for a couple of minutes ago, biblical leadership in 2021 looks like this. Behold. I know there's a reason to weep. In Revelation 5, they were weeping because no one could open the scroll. I get it. But what was his answer? Behold. Stop weeping. For there is what? There is a man. There's a lamb. When I saw him, verse 17. Is this okay? This was my favorite Easter sermon ever. Had very little to do with me. When I saw him. When I saw him, what happened? I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me. And he said, do not be afraid. And he reintroduces himself. It's the only proper response to seeing him. Some of you are so busy trying to stop that sin thing. Well, I can't fix me. I agree. Because I know I can't fix me. So what's the solution? Behold, and I saw him. And as we see him, those things inside of us that are trying to control us and are trying to manipulate, they, they die. That's why the Bible says that his death was your death. Therefore, his resurrection is your resurrection. That's what he says. So I don't, I don't understand. He says, behold, all things have been made new. That means the person you were before Jesus can't be the same person after him. You're like, well, I still struggle with it. I get it. But let's continue to behold him until we become new. Until that reality on the inside of us collides with truth. We listen to sermons sometimes and we think he's talking about me. And he's trying to put a yoke. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It says he speaks a better word. He's speaking truth. So on Sunday, on, on Friday night, I really, I, we, we took communion and I, I took a cross. I actually asked for a cross. We didn't have a cross. Some guy was like, you want a cross? I'm like, man, that's crazy, Jesus. And we, and we put the cross, we put the cross in the church, but it didn't fit on stage. I wanted it on stage. And we put it up and because our ceilings are like five foot high, didn't fit. And then I'm like, I'm going to put it on the floor. And you know, we have staff members here. And the first thing I thought when I put it on the floor is like, they're going to hate that because it's in, it's in the way. And the more I thought about it, I thought, ah, oh, let the cross be intrusive. Like, I just want it to be all up in my way. Like every time I think a little, I belittle myself. Anytime the enemy whispers, I just want it to be in my way. I want to be reminded to remember that the value that's placed on my life is not because of what somebody says about me. It's not because of the things I've done or the things I'm going to do. The value that is placed upon me. I want to ask you, this is my only question for you. 
what have you placed your affection on? It's quiet. Many people, many things, many words. But the Bible says this, you are not held back by what we've given you. You are held back by your own affections. I took the last 30 minutes to paint a picture for you, and I know I, I could have done better. <laughs> but how do you describe someone who the Bible says is indescribable? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand. I'm going to ask, hey, Covey, will you come up? Try your best not to cry. He said, I'll try. <laughs> I wanted to end the service today, the service, the service, by all of us together collectively just waiting for just a moment. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer because you're not saved by my words. What I'm going to ask you to do is if you're here and you say, man, I've given my affection to lesser things. Like that person you described, I read to you 50 different attributes of Jesus. <laughs> 50 different descriptions of him. You're like, man, I just don't know him like that. I believe today he'll meet you. Look at me. I, I believe he will meet you. The Bible just says that there was a couple of men that were walking away. After Jesus died, they were on the road to Emmaus. And I love that so much because they were actually going the opposite direction of where they should have been. Jesus said to them, wait for me in Jerusalem. And they're, they're walking towards Emmaus, which, which quite literally means insignificance. You know, they can't find Emmaus on a map right now. That's how insignificant that town was. So picture this, they lose their savior. They have hope deferred, and they're walking towards who knows where. And Jesus meets them there. And what does he do? He begins to reveal himself from the beginning to the end. And when he was done revealing himself, they looked at one another and said this, did not our hearts burn? I want to ask you, where's your burning heart? The days of passive Christianity are done. Because his eyes, they flame like fire. So I want to ask us to stand. I just want us to just close our eyes and listen. As as you feel a tug, I'm telling you, some of you are just going to feel like a tug. Like, man, I should, I should go up. I'm going to ask as you feel that, that you would just come in the altars and just kneel. I don't care if you're a staff member here, man. I'm telling you, there is an invitation to meet Jesus in a new way. And he wants to reveal himself to you. This is not a sinner or not sin issue. This is an invitation from the Father to meet him in a deeper way. So as Covington begins to worship, I'm just going to invite you. If you have stuff in your life that needs to be worked out, join the club. 
But there's an invitation to meet him in the altars. And we're just going to wait on the Lord for just a few minutes. And Covey's going to, just gonna, they're just going to worship over us. But as you feel that tug, just come meet him. The man of Revelation 1. And just ask him, God, show yourself to me. With just the one word, everything changes. I'm captivated. I'll never be the same. With just the one word, everything changes. I'm captivated. I'll never be the same with just the one. 